Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And we're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And this week on the podcast, we're going to be checking in on the WTA Finals from Guadalajara, Mexico. We'll check in on the Stockholm Open, where we saw not only a matchup from Felix Oshay, Aliasim, and Dennis Shapovala, but also a finals appearance from Dennis. And we also have an interview, Mike, with Canada's Ariana Arsenault, who's playing tennis at Auburn University. And you caught up with her as we've kind of followed a theme over the past couple of weeks of speaking with the players who went the college route, which she, of course, is in the midst of right now. Yeah, we got a great episode. I mean, there's so much to talk about as the season is winding down on both the, the men's and the women's tour. And uh, as you mentioned, to get another guest who has uh, decided to pursue their academics, along with keeping the door open to a professional career afterwards. Uh, uh, similarly to speaking with Alexis Gallarno a week ago, uh, another Canadian who just finished his college career and is turning pro. So lots to sort of unravel here. And I guess we'll start with the uh, WTA finals, uh, which does have a Canadian presence in doubles. And it's not who you might think would be there uh it's not gabby dabrowski who we've been accustomed to sort of playing in the season ending tournament but it's uh sharon fishman who's participating for the first time in her career with partner julianne almost and uh as we're recording this um they have lost unfortunately their first two matches uh but the last one in particular um was a very close three-set affair that ended 11-9 against uh, krocic and uh Gorachi. um so trending in the right direction for sharon and her partner and and I think a well-deserved appearance for someone who's uh, had an interesting career leaving the game, coming back to the game, and now having such success in her early 30s. Uh, we can't be any happier for Sharon Fishman, really, with uh, how things are going. Yeah, look, it's, it's been a phenomenal past couple of seasons, I think, for, for Fishman. And as you said, I think if we looked at the WTA finals and we were talking about a Canadian on the double side, we would expect Gabby Dabrowski. And she certainly would have belonged there with her incredible season, um, what she did with partner Juliana almost, but it's Sharon Fishman uh, stepping into that role. And I, I thought she played, honestly, very well um, in their couple of matches, specifically the second. And it's rare that we get a doubles match, not only televised, but with this type of atmosphere but for anybody who is watching late night tsn uh fishman and almost playing uh crotchick and garachi this was like an absolute thriller it was a it was a packed house in guadalajara the crowd was completely into it and i i think fishman would tell you if uh, we could have spoken to her after this match that she would have absolutely loved that environment because she's playing alongside a partner who's also Mexican. So the crowd was very pro Fishman and almost they saved a couple of match points. It was a very tense and tight match tie break that went 11 nine. So, um, you know, we, we don't really showcase doubles very often. I don't think people are always getting up for watching it, but I was pretty enthralled by the match itself. Yeah, the Mexican tennis crowds are fantastic, and we've seen them support Canadians before. They got behind Leila Annie Fernandez big time in some of her uh, singles tournaments there. So no surprise for Fishman to be getting that support, especially, obviously, given who her partner is. Uh, I really enjoy seeing the crowds. I really enjoy seeing some outdoor tennis this time of year, which is kind of strange. I I did a bit of a double take because you're kind of used to seeing the indoor tennis in the European swing or or, uh, Asian swing right now, and so it's, it's great to see them out in the sunshine. A little bit jealous, not going to lie, as uh, definitely winter is creeping ever so closer to us here in Toronto. But uh, great for Sharon. Hope her last match of the round robin is a, a positive one. But great to see if they could uh, get a victory. And just what a story. I mean, they're the eight seeds out of eight teams, so they just kind of snuck in there. But a, a great achievement for her and, and just validation again that uh, must have been a tough decision a few years ago to step out of the broadcast booth, come back to competition and it's just been so justified with uh, the results that she's had. And, and her and Juliana are so tight um, that uh, that obviously the fact that they gel so well off the court translates also into this great success they've had on court too this past year. Yeah, certainly. And look, um, Fishman was dealing with an injury, I, I think, just earlier this summer that she was fighting to come back from. Um, so for her to even be playing at this stage is great. You can tell how well liked and respected she is on the tour. Even checking her Instagram, she posted a video of uh, her getting back her service motion and training to get back on the court. And I looked at the reply and I was like, is that Venus Williams who has the top reply on her Instagram post complimenting right? her service motion? I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I missed that. That's very, very cool. 
Um, so congrats to Sharon Fishman, regardless of what happens next. What a great season of tennis for her. And hopefully that shoulder injury is all healed up for uh, the start of the next season, which is going to be upon us quicker than you think. That's how it goes in tennis. Almost no off season. Uh, in singles, we should also talk about some of the early results. Again, as we're recording this, we're not quite through the, the round robin section. But if you had told me at the start of 2021 that uh, you'd have Paula Badosa and Annette Contivate as uh, the two undefeated players in this tournament so far, both two wins, zero losses. They are in there as the seventh and eighth seeds and absolutely making the most of it. Two of the hottest players on tour in the last part of the season. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone would have called this so uh, ahead of time. <laughs> no, it, it's completely astonishing. But in terms of form, if we were just looking back, you know, the past month out of this uh, collection of eight players that we do have the, at the WTA finals, who's the hottest coming into this tournament? Annette Conteve for me was number one. And just behind her was Paula Bedosa, number two, of course, won Indian Wells. Conteve's been phenomenal, uh, making those two straight finals, Kremlin Cup, and then winning the Transylvania Open. I think she was in the quarters of Indian Wells as well. And you look at the way she's already started in the round robin dominating. Uh, straight sets win over Barbara Krajcikova, only lost four games to Karolina Pliskova. And uh, as we record, I think she has her, her third and final match against Muguruza, but I believe she's already clinched a spot in the semifinals. Um, what, what a remarkable season, particularly second half that she's had. And I was reflecting actually on speaking with her um, when it was Rogers Cup and we had a chance to interview a series of players. Um, very, very nice and friendly person. And I, I wanted to get a chance to just watch her because I hadn't really seen her play at this stage a couple of years ago and she played doubles that week along with singles at Rogers cup, which is now national bank open. And I watched hey, you a, saved yourself there. Good job. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Um, and I watched a portion of her doubles match and I was just struck by how, how clearly and obviously she was just the best player on the court at the doubles match. Um, phenomenal ground strokes. Anytime she was getting an opportunity to make an impact shot, she was doing it. And I was like, what this, this player could turn out to be something special. And, and sure enough, 2021 has been her, her breakthrough season. And, and what a season just overall for the surprises on the WTA tour, which is just, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, you know, we've enjoyed that and comment on, on that several times over the past few years. Um, just you never know what will happen, and, and it's really wide open. And between the mix of surprise entries here uh, at the WTA Finals, and then when you look at the last slam of the year on the women's side between Emma Raducanu and Leilani Fernandez, I mean, the WTA is seemingly a, a, an all-time high in terms of uh, surprise results uh, uh, this year, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And um, there is an adjustment as well to this tournament uh, with altitude. That was a kind of a big talking point going in um, that they are playing at a higher altitude. How will that impact players? Barbara Krajcikova, our French Open champion, I, I think she has kind of slowed down towards the tail end of the year. Definitely the longest calendar season she's probably ever played, um, dropping seven of her last nine matches. So she's out of the mix. And this is just a rare WTA finals where we don't have the usual faces. The only names that like stand out of, oh, we're somewhat used to seeing you here is uh, Garbina Muguruza, really. And, uh, and, and Arena Carolina Sab Pliskova. And Carolina Pliskova, that's right. And uh, Arena Sabalenka, such a great first half to the season. It felt like she had a quiet second half. So I wonder what she can do here at the WTA finals. She she fought through a tough three-set win against Iga Sviantek. So she's in the mix as well. But um, kind of anybody's tournament to win, really. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Contevite or or Bedosa win the, the whole thing, honestly. Yeah, not, a, not at this point. Maybe see the two of them in the finals of the finals, you know, at the end of the week. Uh, we'll have to wait and recap that uh, next week on our next episode. Um, this week, sticking with women's tennis, um, let's talk about our, our guest this week, Ariana Arsenault. For those who aren't familiar, young Canadian player who decided to go the college route. She started her college career last year at the University of Georgia, switched this year to uh, Auburn University, and uh, said that was a better fit for her. And we see that sometimes with the Canadian players. They start in one school, end up switching somewhere else. And I'm sure with American players as well, perhaps you're trying to find that right fit. You're living away from, from home, perhaps, for the first time ever as well. And for our Canadians being in a different country too. And during this pandemic, there are a whole lot of reasons there why it, uh, it might be a difficult transition. But Ariana took some time to talk to us. Uh, Canadian tennis fans might have seen her play a couple of years ago 
at the National Bank Open uh, here in Toronto, where she won the pre-qualifying tournament to uh, snag a, a main draw appearance. And she is planning on playing pro um, after her college career. Um, so very much keeping that door wide open. But again, I think it's great that we're showcasing some of these young Canadian athletes who are choosing to balance not just their um, professional tennis pursuits, but also making sure there's a backup plan just in case injury um, or, or something along those lines uh, comes up. Because let's face it, how many people out there can make this a full-time career? A very, very small percentage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, without further ado, let's listen into your interview with uh, Canadian Ariana Arsenault. Today on Matchpoint Canada, I'm pleased to welcome Canadian talent Ariana Arsenault, who has taken her tennis skills south of the border to represent Auburn University for the 2021-22 season. Ariana, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, when we connected yesterday to set this up, you told me that uh, you might be a little bit rushed because you had an early morning class today. So I'm curious, for starters, did you make it to class and uh, what course is it that you're taking? Uh, yeah, I did make it to class. Good, good. <laughs> um, I just came back from my psychology class, interest to psychology. Um, so this semester, I mean, it's full of biology, psychology, English. I'm taking some kinesiology courses. So we're really focusing on my major courses, which is exercise science. Very cool. I always struggled with my morning classes, so I'm not going to lie. I don't think I went to anything before noon, but uh, maybe you're more of a morning person than I was. I am a morning person, not going to lie. Last year, you had your uh, freshman season at Georgia, and it seemed to go quite well as you were one of the top doubles players on the circuit. Why the switch this year to uh, come to Auburn? Um. I think personally, I just needed a little switch of environment and um, atmosphere, nothing against the school. I just think it was what was best for me. Um, and I'm really glad I made that decision. And I'm really happy with it where I am now. It seems almost common if we look at some of the other Canadian tennis players, I think of uh, Lane Sleeve, Carson Brandstein, also switching schools. Is it just a coincidence or is it tough finding the right home away from home uh, at your age? I think, I don't think it's coincidence. I think it is tough to really find the right fit. Um, and I mean, sometimes that means switching after the first time and, and until you find that right fit, you know, you got to do what you got to do. How is your college season going so far this year then? If you could uh, bring our listeners up to speed on, on how you're doing and are you playing singles, doubles, a mix of both? Yeah, so we've played, I've played three college events this fall so far. Um, I just got back from Arizona, um, played singles and doubles there. Um, I did really well, won all three of my singles, won all three of my doubles. Um, so I, since the summer, I didn't play all summer. Um, I've been, you know, progressing, training a lot, getting more matches in. Um, and I think that I've been doing really well. Um, I'm actually leaving to um, Naples this Sunday to play a 25k um, so I'm just trying to get as many matches in as possible before the spring season and I think it's going really well. Sounds really busy how challenging is it to balance not just the tennis commitments that you have traveling all over the country but also managing your, your course load and trying to maintain a certain average and, and stay on track when you're not in class as often as other students? It is tough. Um, but I think time management is really important. Um, I think I've always been really on top of that. And I do care about school as much as tennis. Obviously, for me, tennis is number one priority. But I do make time in my day to put school ahead and, you know, try to balance both. So I think just like the balance part of it and really trying to manage your time, let's well as possible is just really important how do the profs treat you student athletes because I had some hockey buddies when I was growing up in in Montreal and and in Toronto as well who were kind of given like an easy pass you know what I mean like here's the mark we know that you're busy with hockey and that's your focus is it similar to that with you playing tennis or do the profs have high expectations as well with your schoolwork I think they have the same expectations um I think Obviously, being an SEC school, sports are really big here. So they understand um, if you are traveling and have tournaments, 
obviously you have your excuse from classes if you're going to a college tournament so you can make up exams but they still have the same expectations when it comes to how you do on the exams and you know how you perform on the assignments and um you know completing them by the due dates um i do think that they're flexible um when it comes to us which you know is amazing um but i do think the expectation still stands you got to perform on and off the court mm-hmm. <laughs> talk to us a little bit if you could about the decision to go the college route you're a talented junior you probably considered i would imagine maybe turning pro right away was that a a tough choice to make uh, how did you come to that conclusion and and are you happy with it at this point yeah so it was a decision that had to be made over, you know, a few years. I did have quite a few injuries um, before going to college. I had an elbow surgery. Um, I had injuries here and there. So I did have a few setbacks um, to start my pro career before college. So I think that last second I decided to go to college um, just because of all of those setbacks. And obviously it was a tough decision to make. I do want to start my pro career sooner or later. I'm really excited. And that's still um, a goal of mine, which is why I'm trying to play all these pro tournaments in the fall as much as I can. Um, I don't regret my decision. I think that I chose the right school right now to prepare me to go to the pro level. The coaches here at Auburn are amazing. They support my goals. They support me going to play those tournaments in the fall. So. I think that I could be ready for it. Um, I'm excited for it. And I think I made the right decision for my path right now. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like a smart decision with what you've been through. And I think it sends a really good message to, to young tennis players, uh, you know, here in Canada as well, that uh, it's good to maintain a, a secondary option as well. Keep your doors open and you can still have a successful tennis career and get that education at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as we're talking here, our listeners can't see it, but I see this giant Canadian flag over your right shoulder there in the background, which is pretty awesome. Um, do you miss being back home here in Canada? Is it tough being away? It is tough being away. I haven't been back home in about a year now. Um, I didn't go back this summer um, just because of my whole transfer process, as well as COVID and not getting the vaccine until recently. Um so I do miss home a lot. I miss my family. I saw my mom in March for like four days. Haven't seen my dad or my brothers since last December. Um, so it has been mentally challenging, you know, especially going through the whole transfer process without them, moving to a whole new state without them. Um, but I think I dealt with it really well. And I think that I just stuck with my goals. You know, I still talk to them every single day. That's never going to stop. Um, but I am going, going home for Christmas, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> nice. Well, that's just around the corner, actually. It's only a month away, my goodness. Um, but I can imagine, yeah, how difficult that must be, even during like a non-pandemic time, let alone with what we've been dealing with with COVID. So I'm sure that meetup in December will be extra special for you guys. Um, down there in the States, I'm guessing you must get a little extra street cred these days for being a Canadian tennis player because we're doing pretty darn good on both the men's and women's side do your American counterparts down there make mention of, of how solid our Canadian group is right now? A hundred percent, you know, like, especially with, you know, our new talents and the younger ones that they mention it all the time. I say I'm Canadian and they're like, Oh, Canada doing so well. You're the next star for them, you know? And I mean, that's awesome to me. I, yeah. What are your um, long-term plans in the sport you want to become a part of that strong canadian group you see yourself representing the country one day um what's the plan once college is done and and do you see finishing up your degree or at some point before the end perhaps making that switch to pro i think that's a year by year decision and just seeing where i am um long term i would love to represent canada um that i mean I love Canada so much and, you know, I want to, the long-term goal is to become pro and, um, you know, probably stay in Canada, train in Canada. Um, but yeah. Year by year. Year by year. Yeah. 
I uh, remember watching you at the 2019 Rogers Cup, now National Bank Open, uh, which you made it into by winning the pre-qualifying tournament, which was pretty cool. What were your memories from that experience and, and being around the best women's tennis players in the world for that week? That was my greatest experience as a, a tennis player by far, um, playing that first round, the qualifying, you know, and having a good solid like match, you know, it was very competitive and having my whole family, my whole team, you know, a bunch of people watching and supporting me, you know, the whole experience was amazing. And then being in the environment of all those pro players and all the stars, you know, that was just a great environment to be in and I'll never forget it. And I can't wait to hopefully work my way back up into the same place. Absolutely. It was a shame, obviously, that we lost both events in 2020 and, and now at least they were back this past summer, but I know difficult to, to travel to come back up, especially with mm -hmm. all that you've got going. Uh, what pro players do you admire the most Canadian or, or otherwise that you look up to and, uh, and sort of uh, want to be like perhaps? Um, well, my favorite tennis player and has always been my favorite tennis player was Sharapova. Um, I just, I've always looked up to her, you know, nothing, nobody and nothing will ever change my mind about that. Just, you know, her passion for tennis, her work ethics, um, and all that, that's just always inspired me. Um, favorite player on the men's side, Federer, you know, same thing, work ethics, um, how professional he is. Um, I look up to honestly, all the Canadian stars right now, you know, Layla, I've always looked up to her. I just think that she's just such an amazing like worker, competitor. Um, Bianca, same thing. You know, everyone works hard. Dennis, Felix, all of them. I look up to them. You know, I'm happy for them. There's, there's so many to choose from, too, in Canada. I mean, you just listed yeah. four of them and they're all having successful careers and great seasons. Um, that must just push. I mean, you're rough, you're around the same age as them. That must just encourage you and inspire you to to keep pushing because you see players that you've grown up playing and practicing with having such high levels of success a hundred percent it motivates me every day thinking about it we just had uh, the billy jean king cup uh canada unfortunately didn't make it out of their pool but played really well if you represented canada one day on that stage and you could pick any canadian to be your doubles partner beside you on the court who would you like to see yourself with one day in that moment um well, I do remember playing doubles with Layla before we played together. I think it was at an ADK um, in Granby, I believe. Um, and we did make the semis of that. So, you know, getting another chance to play with her and performing well would be really fun. It was really fun to play with her on court. Um, so I think I'd choose her. Right on. Good choice. Good choice. Hey, Ariana, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule down there to chat with us. It's uh, such a benefit, I think, to talk to student athletes like yourself. Important for kids to see that there's multiple ways you can include uh, sport in your life and still play at a high level. So uh, good luck with the rest of your season, bonne chance, and uh, we hope to catch up with you again down the road. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. There you have it, Mike's interview with Ariana Arsenault, who she mentioned um, playing a tournament. And I was just looking back and she has been consistently playing ITFs and making the change from Auburn to Georgia. Um, sorry, Georgia uh, to Auburn. Sorry, Georgia <laughs> to Auburn. Pardon me. No, I, I was looking at her season in Georgia too, just the previous year as a freshman. And she was very, very impressive. They were like a phenomenal team. They won the SEC regular season. They made quarterfinals at the NCAA championships. And I, I believe her partner in doubles, those two are ranked number four nationally. So you can already tell as a freshman, she is one of the standout players and, and from Richmond Hill, Ontario, which is uh, where I reside currently, actually. Oh, there you go. I didn't uh, even make that connection so mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty cool too yeah she was an all-american i believe last year for her doubles results they were so strong um and so here she is now at a new school so we'll see how that plays out in terms of her on-court results but uh she, you could tell she's very excited for what lies ahead and uh, i forget if it was in the interview or as we were speaking sort of off air afterwards she's not sure if it's going to be um you know a full college career or if at some point she might opt to go pro, pro sorry even uh, before that so that remains to be seen. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got so many, it seems, Canadians playing down in the States. 
and and making a name for themselves. And as Ariana mentioned, uh, Canadian tennis players have that uh, credibility now that didn't exist previously. Um, American tennis players, the American Tennis Institution has taken notice clearly of what we're doing up here because it's working out so well for us. Yeah, no doubt on the women's and the men's side, handful of names that you can kind of think of who are making an impact in college beyond area and Ar- Arsenault, Lane Sleeth. You look over at the men's side, Liam Draxel, I believe playing at the University of Kentucky and one of, uh, I think he was named National Player of the Year for the first time in that program's history. So a lot of up and coming stars. We're not putting pressure on them. It, it just feels like we have have a lot kind of in the roots here um, that are, are set to go pro in the next, you know, three to four seasons, I would think. Yeah. And you know who they're looking up to is players who are actually in and around their age. When you think about it, like mm-hmm. Felix, Dennis, Bianca, and certainly Layla are all the same age as, you know, the Ariana Arsenos of our uh, college uh, system as well, who are down there playing uh, and in some cases, even younger, but they're, they're pushing them. They're inspiring them. Uh, they know them so well. Uh, Ariana knows Leila Annie Fernandez very well, of course. Um, and so it's it's great to see both in the college level and professionally that Canadians are are making uh, their their mark. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. Um, we shift over to some serious news, which has kind of been the talk over the past few days, and it has made the rounds on Twitter. Uh, China's Shui Hong has reportedly vanished or at least been missing uh, since she brought forth serious allegations of sexual assault against a former high-ranking government official from China earlier this month. Now, she made a lengthy post at the time. It was deleted just 30 minutes later. And now I, I, I don't want to say that she's in danger or if she's in hiding. We don't really know the answers to this question. But even the WTA has now made a statement about this issue. And we're talking about a very high-profile former player, two-time slam champion in doubles, and a former uh, major singles semifinalist as well at the U.S. Open. Yeah, this uh, story is absolutely shocking. And uh, I was kind of staying off social media for most of the weekend and then all of a sudden uh, started seeing more and more people um, sort of posting about this on Twitter. You know, where where is uh, Shui Pong? And I was, what, what's going on here? And uh, just some frightening stuff happening. And of course, in China, there's so much that's censored and, and you know, freedom of expression there, especially on social media and, and online is, is very heavily restricted. And in this case, clearly, it, it, it likely wasn't the player who removed these comments but it was the government that censored them and, and took them down rather quickly. And then when she went uh, sort of missing in, in action, uh, everyone wondered, well, what's, what's happened here? Is she okay? Is she safe? And, um, you know, Steve Simon uh, from the WTA CEO says that while the tour has not spoken with her directly, they have received assurances that she is safe and not under any physical threat. So we're hoping that that's the case. And, and, and that's at least a little bit comforting but otherwise, what a scary situation. And, and it's just concerning on so many levels, obviously, first and foremost, the safety of the player and, and what she's had to experience and endure. Uh, then the response of the tour, how long did they wait to you know, make a statement and look into this? And, and it's kind of concerning as well, because the WTA has such a big presence in China. Are they going to speak freely? Are they going to do everything you know, capable to back up the player here? Or do financial interests, I hate to say it even, but you have to ask, do financial interests play into this and sort of muddle up the response and and keep them from responding in a way that they should, which is to put the player's safety uh, as the safety of all their players should be paramount uh, for the WTA. Yeah, very, very well said. Um, I, I'm glad just to, to begin with that we did get a statement from Steve Simon, the, the chairman and CEO, because I had concerns to begin with uh, that the women's Uh, association would reply at all. Um, And we've seen those issues in the past, I think, related to the NBA, who was doing major business in China. And, um, you know, they had a, at the time, their general manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, spoke out in favor of protests in Hong Kong. And he was immediately silenced and kind of blackballed by the league. So it was sort of uh, this hush-hush type of thing that you can't really speak if you're doing business with the country. And um, I'm glad at least the WTA Tour has taken the first step. Um, In their statement, they said they're seeking full, fair, and transparent 
investigations into sexual assault allegations against former Chinese leaders. So it is something they're taking seriously. I don't know that we're going to get to the stage where they're you know, discussing backing out of, out of tournaments or putting applying pressure that way. Uh, it, at least they have one aspect going for them. There are no tournaments on the calendar for this season. Of course, that got blown up based on COVID-19. So we'll see if they're back on the calendar, some of the, some of the events in the Asian swing later in 2022. But maybe that won't be an issue for this season, at least. Yeah, we'll have to see how this one plays out and what response uh, will there be from the Chinese government, if any. Right now, they said... Uh, or anything I've seen is that they're not addressing it, that it's not a diplomatic uh, situation. So they're not commenting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'll get too much more, you know, from that side, but, you know, first and foremost, you hope that Shui Peng is all right and in a safe place and continues to be in a safe place, um, but can also seek, um, you know, justice, however unlikely that may be given the uh, setting that she's in over there. Um, Anyways, our our best go out to her and and we'll keep uh, our listeners, um, you know, up to date as we move forward on the podcast. Yes, we will. We'll move forward as well over to the men's side. And uh, we had a Canadian in a final for the first time in, in quite some time. Denis Shapovalov uh, competing at the Stockholm Open. Felix Ojeali's team was there as well. They had a semifinal clash. That went the way of Shapovalov, who now leads that head-to-head 4-3. to three, Very tight. So he beat Felix and got back to the final of the Stockholm Open uh, before losing to first-time ATP finalist Tommy Paul. 6-4-2-6-6-4. So Paul, the 24 year old earning the first title of his career definitely a surprise there uh, for Denis Shapovalov I think we've both spoken about the fact that it's been a lackluster kind of tail end of the 2021 season especially sort of the hardcourt swing post Wimbledon Wimbledon was of course phenomenal making the semifinals but having sort of some hardcourt struggles didn't particularly play well at the U.S. Open where he lost to Lloyd Harris um, Indian Wells was kind of rocky as well so to come back to a place where he'll have fond memories. He was technically defending champion, having won the title in 2019. I, I think a finals appearance and a win over his friend Felix is hopefully good signs moving into 2022. I feel like Dennis may be adopted by Sweden as a you know, de facto Swede. They could use some help in their men's tennis side of things as well. But between yeah. his back-to-back sort of a Stockholm finals and the fact that he is dating a Swedish tennis right. player... Uh, Miriam Bjorklund. Um, so, uh, and, and he's got the blonde hair already. I mean, he could fit in as a Swede, no problem. Not that we want to let him go, obviously. But uh, <laughs> as you mentioned with Chapo, it's it's always kind of tough to assess him because he's so incredibly inconsistent. And he teases you with so much flash and brilliance and potential that like hardly anyone else on tour has. But then he can't sustain that at a consistent level throughout, you know, the, the grinding season that uh, we have on the ATP Tour. And for Dennis, it's kind of always been that way. When we look back on his seasons, there's these moments of amazing results. And in the past, he's had them at ATP Masters events going all the way back to 2017 in Montreal, of course, where he kind of landed on everybody's map. This year, his big aha moment was at the Slams finally with a semifinal appearance at Wimbledon. But outside of that, pretty lackluster, to be honest. I mean, the highlights aside from Wimbledon, to me, would be when he pushed Nadal so well on clay in Rome and, and, and almost had that one, um, right. He had what one or two match points if memory serves correctly. Yeah. And I think but, he was maybe a, a, up like four, one and that, that set after taking the first. So yeah. Opportunities. But then, but then when you look at, you know, his, who he's beat this year, he hasn't really beat that many good players in 2021, to be honest, only a single top 10 victory all year long, which was against Roberto Bautista Agu at Wimbledon. And only one other win against someone in the top 20, which was just this past week against Felix in Stockholm. So when you look at it that way, not nearly as impressive as what you would expect, I think, for a player ranked as high as he is. And part of me wonders, is this the type of career Denis Shapovalov is maybe going to have where we're going to, you know, experience some mega highs, whether is it whether it's a huge run at, at a grand slam or, or making a splash, making a big final uh, mixed in with a lot of early exits that could be um, due to his very explosive game, such a big hitter, powerful kind of shot maker. When, when things aren't clicking, he runs into trouble and it feels like he can lose to basically anybody on the tour at, in the same given sentence. You feel like with this explosive attacking game, he can beat just about anyone on the tour and a player he's reminding me of, 
within his game style and in terms of ups and downs. And look, this is a phenomenal career. If he did anything close to what this player I'm thinking of has done, I would say it's a major success story. Stan Wawrinka has a lot of highs and lows in his careers. Um, He has three grand slams. Uh, He has 16 titles. He never won, pardon me, he won one Masters 1000. Um, Most of his titles came at ATP 250s. And he's had sort of varying dips where he loses early in matches. He loses early um, at at smaller events and then suddenly breaks out and and wins an Australian Open or is in the finals of a French Open. Kind of unpredictable, but when he's peaking, he beats just about anybody. And I, I wonder if that's just the type of player Denis Shapovalov is going to be. I like the comparison, and uh, Vavrinka definitely a big-time pressure player. I mean, aside from the big three, he's got the most slams of anyone the last 15 years, along with Andy Murray. Yep. Uh, you know, what those two guys were able to accomplish, just fantastic. And for Stan, winning at three different slams as well, I mean, that guy's going to look back with no regrets on his career in terms of what he's accomplished. Absolutely terrific. So, hey, look, if Shabo can do anything close to that, he'd take it and we would certainly take it as well. And, you know, I know I, you know, maybe it sounds a little overly critical, but I, I just think we're, uh, we're, we're so anticipating that, that bigger breakout where yeah. it, 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 you know, he puts it all together and imagine if what we see in these little flashes could be more sustained uh, his overall record this year, 30 wins, 23 losses. He's at number 14 in the rankings right, right now. Uh, twice in his career has he had more wins than 30. In 2019, he had 38. In 2018, he had 35. But he's also got high, you know, losses in in some of those seasons too. So just kind of par for the course for Dennis. Will he find that consistency? Maybe not. Is he going to be a super incredibly exciting player to watch for the next 10 years? Absolutely. Um, And, um, you know, I'll take what we get from him because it's, uh, to me, he's one of the most exciting players to watch on the tour. If there's a Chapeau match on, that's what I'm going to be watching. Yeah, certainly. And you sense that every tournament he goes, everybody's buying a ticket to see Dennis Shapovalov play. Even if it does result in an early exit, he's he's one of those must-watch players. Felix Ojealiasim uh, getting to the semifinals here. And the significant movement here that we're getting on the Monday is he is reaching a new career high and is now 10th in the rankings officially. So the next Canadian to actually break inside the top 10, which is a great accomplishment. And for me, it's been a steadier, more consistent, somewhat of a breakthrough year, given his performances at the Grand Slams, I would say. Yeah, steadier and more consistent for sure. And he went through patches also where, you know, things weren't necessarily clicking. Think mm-hmm. back to the clay court swing this year. wasn't really there for him. Uh, but otherwise, like you mentioned at the slams, a big step up. Uh, overall record 38 and 24 right now. Uh, four top 10 wins. Three other wins against players in the top 20. Um, you know, if we compare Dennis and Felix, uh, Felix's year definitely stood out to me. And when Tennis Canada gets around to giving out its annual awards, uh, to me, it's uh, a no-brainer that Felix ends up with the, the Male Singles Player of the Year award. Yeah, I agree. And, and you look at how close he was knocking on the door for, for the ATP finals. He was right in the mix until those last couple of tournaments. An opportunity was there at Indian Wells. Maybe that's the goal for 2022 for him. If you're goal setting, I think, for the next season, uh, get to that final stage of eight. And I can't think of another time where it's been so crowded and so difficult to get to, honestly. I suppose in the big three era, it's almost like you already permanently have three spots filled even there's only five there's only five open ones yeah right or even even maybe like four spots open when Andy Murray was dominating too and always there so uh, I suppose you could argue maybe that was even tougher but so many names in the mix um that uh I think 2022 is going to be one of our most fascinating seasons maybe one of our more open seasons ever on the ATP in a very, very long time. Um, ATP finals are on the go. Before we get to that, we will talk about the next-gen ATP finals just quickly. And um, the player who cruised to this title, I was not surprised. I anticipated that he would win this, but in the fashion that he did, Carlos Alcaraz just dominated from start to finish. I won a perfect 5-0 and at the event and defeated American Sebastian Corda in the final. Another terrific young player. Uh, Alcaraz dropped just one set all tournament, and maybe that's even more impressive for the fact that these sets are only going to four. So you think he would drop a couple more than that, but it's the best 3-5 of five format. Um, first to four, 
Um, no ad scoring as well. Let's are in play too. He's turning 19 next May. Uh, and I already feel like he's one of the superstars of the game. Yeah, what a season he had. I mean, this kid, this kid, he won his first ATP match at the age of 16, which is pretty crazy. This year, he broke Nadal's record uh, at Madrid for the youngest ever player to win a match there in that tournament. Uh, youngest ATP winner since Kei Nishikori back in 2008, um, as he won the title in Umag this year. Uh, he had that fifth set tiebreak win against Pass at the U.S. Open, another highlight for him in 2021, and he became the youngest U.S. Open male quarterfinalist in the open era. So quite a lot of praise to heap upon him. And uh, clearly he's outgrown the next gen. He's ready for the, 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 the full show. Um, but a very exciting player to keep an eye on. I, I want to ask you next gen ATP finals. Is this something you're into or not? Because for me, and I see a lot of people on social media saying, Oh, it's such a cool format. It's a really fast way of playing. And it's, it's, it's different, but it's exciting. I just, I don't know, it just doesn't hook me into parking myself in front of the TV and, and giving it maybe the opportunity that I should, I guess. No, I, I'm with you. It hasn't really hooked me as well. And I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't watch that much of it from Milan uh, for this edition. I caught up on all the highlights. I think I watched one of the Alcaraz matches. Uh, but no, it, it hasn't hooked me. I don't know if it's the format that it's, that it's different I think I need more at stake because what is at stake with the event Are ranking points on the line. No, I don't, I don't, I don't believe even, so. Yeah. No ranking points aren't on the line. It doesn't count to your head to head. It's kind of like a playing for pride tournament, but it's not an exhibition. It's a big deal that Alcaraz won it, but what is it worth? So yeah, I don't, I don't know, know it, what to make of it. I think that's, you know, what I'm getting from you is, is yeah, I don't know what to make of it yet. Like what is it intending to be? Right. Right. And maybe the ATP, they have to look at this event and decide it is worth more. And I, I don't understand why you can't showcase it. Maybe in the same way, of, maybe in the similar format of the ATP finals and turning maybe the end of year ATP finals. What if you made that a two week event? First week was next gen. Next week was the final eight. Yeah. I just don't know about this, the, the whole next gen thing. Like these are professional tennis players. They're not kids. <laughs> They're not babies. It's true. This, isn't, this isn't like some junior tournament. You know what no, I mean? You're right. it, kinda, it kinda has that vibe to it. Like, especially a player like Alcaraz, this guy's a full blown ATP talent. Give me a break that he's playing in this sort of like pseudo kids tournament on the side you know so it's it's just tough for me to to wrap my head around to be honest with you yeah and and part of that yeah i think part of the issue too is the separation you do get in quality with next gen because you have an 18 year old like alcaraz who's phenomenal and then someone else who qualified for the the event like sebastian baez who people are just learning his name and he had no prayer in a match against alcaraz he's facing a guy who was just in the u.s open quarterfinals and here's another guy like a young kid like trying to kind of make his way along the pro circuit so i think that's also a problem a little bit of separation of quality so i don't know maybe next year's edition will be even more competitive but yeah i i don't know what to make it make of it either Hey, let's find one more event to critique before we wrap things up this okay. week as uh, Davis Cup is quickly approaching and unfortunate news for Canadian tennis fans that both Felix Ogialiasim and Denis Shapovalov have withdrawn from the event, which it, it still kind of surprised me, even though it's not shocking. We saw it happen recently at Billie Jean King Cup with certain players not going, a real lack of top 10 presence there. Bianca and Layla also opted not to go to sort of shut down their season and recuperate and, uh, you know, be more well-rested for the start of 2022. And that's basically what Felix, who says he's dealing with a, a sort of nagging knee issue, and Dennis says he needs to shut it down and sort of uh, recuperate after a busy season. But, you know, what a shame that we're not getting to see the best players we can in this event, this international event. And to me, it really um, takes away the legitimacy of it, and it doesn't make me feel confident in its long-term um, you know, capabilities if you're not going to get the best players in the world showing up there. Yeah, I, I think this is simply a scheduling problem. You're asking players who've gone through a grueling, essentially 10, almost 11 month season to make a final trip over to Spain and play one last um, international competition. And I, I understand there is a financial aspect there. You go, you're playing, you're 
I, I do believe players like to represent their country and have that pride, but you, you've just come off such a long ATP season. You're not competing for ranking points, so there's not that incentive there. Uh, and you're probably exhausted at this stage of the year. And I think a lot of these players are trying to schedule their training blocks ahead of 2021. They're already thinking about their schedules ahead of Melbourne and figuring out what am I going to do ahead of the Australian Open? And you know, for Felix and Dennis just wrapping up over in Stockholm, I think the last thing they want to do is like, well, we got to go and compete in another tournament. And as of now, I know Novak Djokovic, um, he said he was going to play for Serbia. I believe Daniil Medvedev confirmed attendance for Russia. I'm honestly not fully confident both of them end up going. And you think about for those guys, they're playing in the ATP finals this week. They're about to play probably some of the most competitive matches in a best two of three format of the year. It's all of the best players playing one another. They're going to be completely wiped out from that tournament, especially if you make semifinals or finals. You're talking about, you know, five matches in basically a week's time and then playing some more. And then what what time do you have off? I, I really don't blame these players for saying, let me find a break in my schedule. Yeah, I don't blame them either, uh, but it's still disappointing nonetheless because I thought a Canadian squad at full power with Felix Dennis and Vashik Pospisil, who's done so well for Canada over mm-hmm. the years. I thought, hey, that's a squad that's definitely going to be in contention, uh, just as our women's team would have been certainly in contention. No disrespect to the group that went there, but would have definitely, I think, been in contention if they had a full squad. So, you know, that's unfortunate. That's too bad as much as I understand it. But look, the Davis Cup got tons of criticism um, when it went through this revamped edition a couple of years ago. Uh, where you're, you're not even going to get a, a home tie throughout the season necessarily. And then all of a sudden, all the teams come together for this, you know, trumped up final at the end of the year. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of that change, although I do agree that Davis Cup needed some sort of a, you know, maybe not a complete overhaul, but there was a, it's gotten so much criticism even before the changes. So this is yeah. an event that's always had its, its critics, um, but it, it hasn't gotten any better. That's for sure from my point of view. Uh, and not getting even a tie in Canada over the course of the year. Um, You know, that's a, a, you know, they're dropping the ball on that one there too, I think. Yeah, that's, that's disappointing. And and one aspect we're also even just forgetting about is the fact that there's another international competition with the ATP cup, which felt like it was kind of a direct, kind of a direct competitor to the Davis cup and only happening what I want to say, six weeks after Davis cup, maybe a little bit more. And, and there were a handful of players, particularly in 2019, Rafael Nadal, you know, being the biggest headliner, being an outspoken critic about the fact that like playing two serious international competitions in the span of two months is ridiculous and not sustainable. And I, I don't know where the Davis cup should fit into the calendar. I want it as an event. I love the idea of country versus country, especially of course, of the Canadian players that we do feature. And you think about how unbelievably strong a Canadian squad would be with say Felix and Dennis, say a healthy Milos Raonic fingers crossed for 2022 Vashik and doubles. That to me is one of the absolute best nations in the world. Um, I, I just don't see that we're ever going to get that if, this is where it's falling in the schedule. That's right. And so instead of having that, you know, um, action-packed all-star squad, um, who are we sending? We've got uh, Steven Diaz was just named as a replacement. Braden Schnur, I believe. Uh, I'm guessing Peter Polanski's in there. Yes, and Vashik Pospisil is going to be the lead singles. Um, And he's going to have to carry that team on his back just for them to even have a chance at at being competitive in their their round rob. And he's going to be having to play singles. And doubles. Vashik, if you're listening, I hope you're ready for this one because uh, you're going to be counted on big time. Yeah, look, I, I want to say maybe this is a nice opportunity for Pospisil to try and end the season with a bang. It's been a disappointing 2021 for him, I think, by his standards. Um, too many losses there. Uh especially coming off the amazing 2020 that he had. We remember he finished in the finals of the Sofia Open, was named ATP Comeback Player of the Year, broke well inside the top 100, inside the top 75. So he's probably frustrated by this campaign, and he's been back playing challengers, actually. He just played in Knoxville, unfortunately lost to Chris Eubanks in the first round, who went on to win that title. But Pospisil is hungry for more match play. We saw him at Indian Wells. He actually... Uh, gave a walk over to Dennis Shapovalov after a few games because the back seized up. I'm glad, obviously, it's better now because he's still playing tennis. 
you know, maybe he can sneak if he can sneak one singles win, um, things open up because of his talent in doubles. I, I feel like in a lot of those matchups, uh, Canada will have the best doubles player on the court with Pospisil there. So that's where the opportunity lies. Great opportunity, at least for Steven Diaz to, to be able to compete in international competition as well for Braden Schnur and Peter Polanski. But unfortunately, right now, it, it is an undermanned squad that we're sending. Yeah, we will uh, keep you posted on all the results as that'll be the, the main focus or one of the big focuses of our next episode coming out Monday, the 22nd. And we hope to have uh, one or two of the players along with us to sort of either preview or recap uh, their experience over there in Davis Cup. Yeah, uh, certainly. One one last note before we uh, go. Uh, the Richard Williams and Williams' sister film King Richard is set to hit the big screen. And before we started recording, uh, we talked about the fact that you and I are both headed to an advanced screening this week. So tremendously excited to see this film. That's right. Mike and Ben go to the movies. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Warner Brothers for hooking us up with some complimentary advanced screening tickets. I, uh, I asked them in my reply, I said, hey, do I have to like dress up for this thing or what? And they're like, no, it's okay. It's casual. You're just going to see a movie. But uh, I had to ask because I was starting to get the vibes of like some sort of big to do. But uh, yeah. I am pretty happy that we get to go see it. And, uh, you know, next week's uh, episode, aside from being a, a Davis Cup episode, it'll it'll be our first ever movie review on Matchpoint Canada. Yeah, well, we'll see if we can get some Ebert and Roper vibes going uh, for, ne- for next week's episode. I don't think I'm the toughest critic. Um, generally, I-, I find if I sit through an entire movie, I-, I don't have the instinct to walk out. I at least thought it was okay. And uh, Will Smith, fantastic actor. We've seen him take on serious roles like this. I can't wait to see how he does in King Richard. We can do like a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. Okay, I can <laughs> sure. be the, the real critic and, and you can be the one that just uh, shouts its praises out. But yeah, I can't see how it, it won't be, uh, you know, very, very entertaining at the least. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, thanks guys for joining us on another episode of Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.